Hey, this is Dan Quiggle with episode six of Garage to Goliath, Leaders Building Legacies podcast. Today's interview is with Jerry Daniels. Jerry is an example of a leader who has been an industry disruptor. He created a blue ocean for himself. In other words, he saw a need and filled it. So let's explore how he does it, how he leads, and how he can help us become better leaders. So imagine getting to speak around the world, meeting the most successful, positive leaders, then getting to choose from that group. That's what my show is about, learning from the best, how to be your best, so that we can challenge ourselves to lead with purpose, impacting lives and communities. Hi, I'm Dan Quiggle, and welcome to the Garage to Goliath podcast, where we learn, lead, and leave a lasting legacy. Today, I get to introduce a family friend, our son's best friends in high school, great family, a 25-year veteran in the automotive industry, former executive vice president who led over 25 dealerships for the Asbury Automotive Group, one of the largest automotive groups in the country. Left to start his own company, the Automotive Broadcasting Network. He founded it after seeing a need and matching that need with advances in technologies. So here's Jerry Daniels building these multi-million dollar dealerships, and they have these TVs in the waiting rooms and the service areas for people to watch while they're getting their cars serviced. But those TVs are tuned into CNN or Fox News, and every commercial practically during the day is a commercial for other dealerships. His competition playing in his location. Essentially, he was sick of seeing multi-million dollar dealerships, you know, having these TVs playing competitive ads. So he comes up with this idea, strikes a deal with CBS, and now provides targeted content that drives sales and markets specifically to each dealer's clients. Brilliant move, Jerry Daniels. Uh, Jerry, a business leader, husband, father, and I'm so fortunate to call a personal friend. Jerry, I know who you are, but for our listeners who may not know the whole story, who are you? What do you do right now? Can you describe for me and our audience the journey you took to get to where you are right now in life? Uh, Absolutely, Dan. Thanks for the the wonderful introduction. Uh, Again, my name is Jerry Daniels. I I started out uh, selling cars when I was 19 years old. I uh, have no formal education. My family really didn't come from uh, from money, um, so I just started working hard in the automotive industry. Worked my way up, and uh, uh, eventually had the opportunity to work with a great company, Asbury Automotive Group, as their executive vice president here in Florida, with responsibility over uh, over 25 stores. Uh, I left that to form the Automotive Broadcasting Network. Uh, uh, we currently do business with dealers in uh, in 45 states across the country, and we're uh, we're super excited to solve a problem. Uh, that uh, that all dealers across the country are dealing with today, which is, you know, how does it make any sense that a customer comes in, their car is top of mind, and they're sitting in the service waiting area waiting for their car, by the way, on average of about an hour and 32 minutes, and they're watching, you know, something that's depressing on the news or, uh, you know, an uh, independent service center uh, uh, ad or an ad for a different manufacturer on the television. just didn't make a lot of sense. So what we do is we uh, pipe in family-appropriate entertainment, and then at the uh, anticipated commercial breaks, we only play messages about that particular dealership uh, and that particular franchise that they represent. And what's neat is, I mean, vehicle walkarounds. I mean, there's probably so much content from those companies, Honda, GM, that uh, can help you with that. Yeah, so the manufacturers create great content, uh, but uh, the dealers have a lot of things they want to talk about as well. So, uh, so yes, we'll, we'll certainly promote uh, the, the, the manufacturer content, but... You know, the dealers want to uh, educate and communicate with their customers about, uh, uh, you know, the hours of operation or the different uh, community uh, involvement uh, or the different charities that they uh, donate to. Uh, or they might want to introduce them to their staff or, or even wish their staff, you know, happy birthday or happy anniversary, things like that. So there's, there's a lot to talk about. And uh, this gives them the platform to do that. I love, I love that. So I want, you know, through this podcast, I want my audience to learn. And, and I guess... When I have someone like you, I, I want to talk, you know, what is your big why? Like, what motivates you, even when times are tough, why do you do what you do? Uh, you know, I just like to be different. Uh, I like to find a problem and solve it. I know that sounds rather cliche, but, uh, you know, after spending, you know, almost 30 years actually in automotive retail, uh, you know, I would walk by the service waiting area. I'd see, you know, a jam-packed uh, audience there watching the television that, that we provided uh, playing, you know, content that's that's wholly inappropriate, and and you know, I'm just the kind of person that when I see a problem, I I really want to fix it. 
So that's that's really what drives me. And I think, you know, knowing you in your personal life, I think I see that even within your family, within your community, within your church. I mean, so, um, you know, I think that's probably you all around, and, and I give you credit for that. You know, it's no secret that I'm a, a John Wooden fan from UCLA, partially because I am. I, I do love my alma mater, partially because he's undoubtedly a successful coach and leader. He, he had this wooden pyramid, and, in you know, the blocks each read differently, loyalty, confidence, intentness, friendship, poise, competitive greatness. If it was the Jerry Daniels pyramid, what, what values would you include on your own pyramid? G- give me a few of your personal values that you found have served you well in life. Um, well, in, in, in hearing that, the, the thing that I think of is, is uh, Abian's uh, core values, uh, which are you know, over-communicate, take responsibility, uh, act now, hit deadlines, things like that. But uh, uh, the big one for me that's been lifelong, both in business and personal, is, is taking responsibility. Um, uh, our mantra here at ABN is if, uh, if the dealers have any issues whatsoever with, uh, with anything on the network, that, that's our fault. Uh, so imagine, you know, and we've got dealerships that we've, you know, hung 50 televisions in. So imagine a a, um, uh, somebody at the dealership changes the channel or changes the volume or, or turns the TV off accidentally or what have you, it's very easy to get into a position of saying, oh, they shouldn't have done that and yada, yada, yada. Um, our feeling is, is that that was our fault. We allowed that. We need to take responsibility and we need to solve it. And it's not the customer's fault. And, uh, and the minute you kind of take that approach in, in, in every aspect of your life, uh, you're not a victim anymore, and 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 you're not reacting to uh, uh, to circumstances. You're uh, you're kind of taking charge of it, and and I think that's uh, that's probably the thing that drives me most is uh, in any situation, it's an, whether it's an argument uh, with someone or or a business decision, it's uh, it's my fault first, and what could I have done differently? Love that, Jerry Daniels. So t- talk to me about the over communicate. That was interesting. What do you mean by that? Well. I think any good organization, uh, you know, it's all about people. Everybody knows that, or hof- hopefully they know that. Uh, uh, we can talk about process later, but but uh, people are the reason that, that that you have successful organizations, and and uh, and those people need to communicate. And uh, so whether you're communicating internally uh, with each other, whether you're communicating with your customers, uh, we we need to be over communicating so everybody is in the loop. You know, you, you always hear in business, you know, the right hand doesn't know what the left hand is doing. Uh, well, at our company, that's not the case. We we keep everybody well informed, and we keep our our customers well informed. So, if you know if a dealer has an issue with uh, with their network, and they they call our support organization, or we're doing an implementation into a new customer, we're constantly providing updates. So, even if the issue isn't resolved, we'll call them and say, "Hey, you know, we want to let you know we realize that this ticket is still open. We know the issue uh, uh, it hasn't been resolved yet. We do have people working on it. Uh, we'll contact you again in eight hours and give you another update." And, and what you find is just by over-communicating, uh, uh, people don't jump to conclusions like you forgot about them or you're not a priority or you're not important, those types of things. So so that's why over-communicating is so important, again, personally and, and professionally. And I also loved your quick reaction time, like just just get on it quickly, don't let it fester. So lots of good uh, lessons to be learned there. You know, most often thoughts are a precursor to how we act and, and what we become as how you know what we become as people. So what do you spend your time thinking about? Um, mostly, mostly how to be different. Um, I, I've tried to teach my kids this their entire life. Uh, I guess I can, uh, the best example I can give you is a, is a story. When I was a kid, I, I got pulled over at the ripe old age of 16 for exhibition of speed. Well, uh, when that happens, you have to go in front of a court with your, or in front of a judge with, uh, with your parent. So there I am in the waiting room getting ready to go in to see the judge with my dad and, and I'm scared to death, you know, and, and, you know, just thinking all the worst is going to happen. And of course, my dad's not pleased that he's there, you know, taking time off work. So, so we go in and, uh, I'll never forget this as long as I live. Uh, the judge looks at me and he says, well, you know, you've had your license for, uh, for eight months now and you've proven you, you must be a very good driver. And of all the things the judge could have said, uh, and been perfectly justified in saying, that was the only thing he probably could have said that I would be talking to you about, you know, 40 years later. Uh, and so it was a real example to me that, 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 you know, I don't like to follow the crowd and, and, uh, uh, you know, if somebody at the office does something or makes a mistake or whatever, um, you know, it's too easy to get mad and, and, 
and be disappointed in them and everything else like that. You know, I take those moments to to build them up and let them know if they're not making mistakes, they're not growing and 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 just try to be different than everybody else. I just don't want to be predictable. And you say you did that with your kids. Like, what what do you talk to them about how to be different? And I, I, I want to get into that later, but more. But right now, what what did you do differently with them? Well, what I what I talk to them about is is uh, uh, it doesn't take talent uh, to get mad in a circumstance that you have every right and justification to be mad over. Uh, ordinary people can do that. So. So what I try to teach them is in every circumstance that you're in, um, uh, try to try to look at the opposite approach and uh, control your emotions and uh, and stand out and be extraordinary. And uh, uh, it just doesn't take any talent to uh, to do what people expect you to do. So so one example that that my dad taught me is you're you're. Uh, you get paid in direct proportion to the amount of stress you can handle daily. <laughs> and so what I tried to teach my kids is, listen, when, when everybody's hair is on fire uh, at the office because there's a fire that they're trying to put out and they're all nervous and, and worried and, and run around you know, with their heads cut off, I'm looking for the person who's keeping their head in the game and solving problems. Uh, and, and those are the people I want to surround myself with. Uh, and even though they have every right to, to be frustrated, mad, and everything else like that, we still have to solve the problem. So I've just tried to teach them to control their emotions and, and, uh, and just, you know, just because they have every right to be mad doesn't mean that that's the best course of action. Yeah, and what a great life lesson for those kids to, to, to for all kids to listen to. So you were, you were at Asbury Automotive Group, again, for our listeners, you know, one of the largest automotive uh, dealer groups in the country. What did you learn there and, and that made, you know, helped you more to be more successful in your later career like what what did they bring to the table for you um you know the, uh, 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 a ton i was only uh, i only had the pleasure of working with asbury for about five years um, i worked for a great ceo by the name of charlie tom and uh, i probably learned more from charlie in that five years than than the prior 20 and what's funny is it didn't really start out that way um Charlie, and he'd, he'd shoot me if he heard me say this, but Charlie is a, it was, a, was an attorney by trade. He, he hates being called an attorney. But, um, and here he is, the CEO of this, uh, of this very successful large, uh, uh, large organization. And, uh, and I remember thinking, you know, gosh, you know, he doesn't know how to run a dealership or, you know, he's never sold a car. Or he's never uh, uh, been a sales manager and all the things that I had to do to grow to, to, to the position that I was in. And I remember I had that attitude for a while, and then I don't know what it was, but one day I had this epiphany where I said, whoa, 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 wait a second. He, he's the CEO of this organization. He makes you know, a really good income. He's been there for a long time. Wow, am I looking at this wrong? Uh, instead of judging him for not having done what I've done, how about trying to understand how could he get this job, keep it, make all the money, and how could it be so successful with him not having done all those things. And the minute I looked at him differently from a different angle, um, I became a student again. And, uh, and he taught me more about business again that I, than I'd learned prior in, in the prior 20, 20 years. So, so what a blessing that was, and, but it didn't start out intuitive. Uh, uh, I, had to, I had to kind of go through a metamorphosis and I'm thankful that I did, but he's been a great mentor. He's actually one, one of our investors in ABN. And you know what I love about you, Jerry, is you're a lifelong learner. I mean, always kind of trying to better yourself and better those around you, and that's the mark of a, of a great leader. I, I, I have to ask this question just because I'm so curious. Still today, what is your dream job in life? If money wasn't an issue, what would you be doing right now? And, uh, you know, just have you thought about that? Um, you know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, I used to think that the answer that I love music, uh, absolutely just, you know, I can't sing a lick. I can't play an instrument, but I absolutely uh, love music. And so I had some dreams about, you know, opening up a studio and all these things. But, to, but to be honest with you, I'm kind of, I'm kind of doing what my dream is. I, uh, innovation is a big deal to me. I love software. Uh, so, uh, uh, you know, we've really kind of, you know, we're both a software company and a media media company and, and, uh, you know, kind of creating new things. I mean, probably the greatest satisfaction I get out of ABN is to take a, a concept or an idea that, uh, that, you know, 10 years later is, uh, uh, you know, 70 plus employees growing to, you know, 170 in the next 12 months. And, 
and uh, and you see you know great market acceptance of something that didn't exist when when I first had the idea, and and that's that's pretty uh, liberating, pretty exciting, and 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 obviously very uh, you know get some great validation when when the market kind of acknowledges uh, your vision even if it takes longer than you'd hoped it would. And that's what I love. I mean, that's why I said you, you know, you're not an industry disruptor, you're an industry creator, which is so unique, and I, and I love that. Let me ask you, what, what keeps you up at night? How, how do you deal with that? In other words, do you have any concerns for the future, for America, for your kids? I, you know, I think it's the normal stresses. I mean, everybody, uh, you know, we live in a pretty pretty crazy world this, these days, and and, uh, you know, the, the media is just, uh, <laughs> my dad would never watch the news because, uh he said, if there wasn't a murder in your town, they'd import one from out of town to tell you about. And uh, <laughs> uh, I always admired him for, for always staying up and being so positive. But um, so I think we all, you know, we all stress about that. But I, I think, uh, uh, you know, the most important thing in life uh, clearly is, uh, is your family. And I think as long as you stay focused on uh, and you prioritize, uh, uh, you know, you prioritize your thing. So your work is important and, and uh, you know, a lot of people that are career-minded, both men and women, uh, get a lot of, uh, of their self-esteem and, and different things out of their career. But, uh, you know, you need to put your faith in, in your family first and and, uh, uh, and then your career. Just make sure you put things in the right order. And sometimes that gets a little cattywampus, especially if you get a big client or something. But uh, I think that's the way you can stay most balanced. And, and, and that concerns me because sometimes it gets out of whack and I have to kind of readjust every once in a while. And I think a lot of people do that. And, and I'm glad that that's even on your radar screen and for me too. And it's good to hear for everyone. What one piece of advice, I mean, with all the knowledge that you have today, what one piece of advice would you give your 20-year-old self and why? Um, probably uh, to never give up. Uh, you know, when you're, uh, and, and very never give up and be patient. Um, I think that if any entrepreneur knew what they were in for before they started their company, they probably never start one. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but you get through it. Um, and you know, and I've, I've told my kids this, you know, you're going to have days where you do everything right, that you say the right things, you do the right things, you dress the right way, you meet the right people and everything is going to go wrong that day. And, uh, uh, and you didn't deserve it. And then there's going to be days when uh, that you can do no wrong. That that literally you're going to be able to walk through the raindrops and things are going to fall on your lap and and uh, it's going to be wonderful. And the, and you got to realize you didn't deserve that either. And so uh, you need to be able to manage your emotions in the lows. And you got to manage your emotions just as much in the highs. Uh, and and then you got to never give up. Uh, because, uh, you know, especially as an entrepreneur, you know, you know, th- those uh, thoughts always come into your head during the really tough times. What was I thinking? What am I doing? How could I do this to my family? On and on and on and on. And you need to realize that, you know what, when the morning comes, it'll be a different day and, and you need to work through your you need to work through your problems. There's a great saying. It says uh, entrepreneurs sleep like babies. They sleep two hours, wake up crying, sleep two hours, wake up crying, sleep two hours. <laughs> There's a, there's, a, there's a truth in that. There's truth in that, isn't there? So, so now I, I want to talk about your, your leadership style and how, how you started ABN. Uh, my, you know, my goal in our time together is to give our listeners some food for thought on how to expand leadership excellence in their own life. Can you explain what is your lead, you know, personal leadership style or philosophy and how did you develop it? Um, my leadership philosophy. You know, to me, it's all about you got to care about your people. Um, and there's a lot of, uh, I'm sure there's millions of books on uh, process and and uh, don't get personally involved with your employees. And I mean, I'm sure there's a million million things you could read that would probably argue the opposite of what I'm what I'm going to say right now. But but with me, it's always been about uh, uh, the the people come first. And and uh, if you really care about them, and if you let them know you care about them, and it's the and it's the little things, you know, it's the outings to to go race at Audubon or. Or, uh, or the, the Christmas party that you, you know, go way over the top because it's the one time a year you can get everybody together and let them know just how much you appreciate them. Or, or uh, you know, it's the you know, design in their office that, uh, you know, is something personal to them, you know, like a, you know, a, a wall that highlights Star Wars because everybody in that group loves Star Wars. It's, it's just uh, it's letting the people know that you care about them. And, and there's so many benefits that, that come from that now. It also makes it harder on the other end if you have to make a change and counseling becomes harder and stuff like that. So you got to take the good with the bad. 
But, you know, we've been very blessed. We've got wonderful people at the company. We've got people that have been with us from the very beginning. We don't have a lot of turnover. There's a, you know, even after a decade, there's, you know, all the pain and suffering and mistakes and everything else that you make when you start a new company. Um, uh, we have more passion in the company today than we've ever had and, and dedication. And, and I just don't think that you can win the heart, hearts and minds of your people without letting them know that you care about them. By the way, how well does that apply with family also? Yeah, well, my, you know, I'm a hugger, and and my my whole family's huggers, and and they're, 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 there's no doubt in when when you're around us that uh, there's a lot of love, and and uh, I just try to bring that into the office, and and it's really worked for us. And again, there's been heart wrenching times where we've had to part with you know family members, you know, or team members here at the office, and and it's it's no fun, and it affects a lot of people, and and uh, but I'd rather. I'd rather care about people, let them know that, that they're appreciated, than, uh, than uh, have them think that they're a number and insignificant and just kind of a cog in a wheel. No, and clearly that's, that's part of your success, and I, I give you credit for that. So we, we talked about ABN and kind of in its simplest terms, but for people who you know, are perhaps aspiring entrepreneurs, how did you know that this was the right idea? You know, how, did, how did you even go about striking a deal with CBS? What was your evaluation process? Um, great, great question. So, so to me, um, I love the term, uh, uh, self-evident, right? So to me, uh, uh, and by the way, I had this initial idea when I was in my twenties before you could ever pull this off from a technology standpoint. When I, when I first had the concept, you know, the hanging, the idea of hanging a television on a wall was, wasn't even a thought, but, uh, uh, you know, it's pretty basic stuff and you know, that, you know, gee, why, why would you want to, you know, XYZ manufacturer to play in a, you know, different manufacturer's uh, uh, showroom. I mean, it just doesn't make any sense. You spend millions of dollars in advertising. You finally earn the customer's trust in business. You did a great job to get them back in the service department. Now they're waiting for their car to be serviced, which today I think 56% of all customers wait for their cars to be serviced. You put them in front of a, a television in your multi-million dollar facility and they're going to watch ads through your competitors. I mean, <laughs> So I'd love to I'd love to tell you how smart I am, but I just don't think I am. I just think that you know I just you know identified the the problem and and uh, uh, and then you know luckily for me I like to solve them. So I uh, you know eventually after a lot of years in technology finally caught up. I uh, I, uh, I solved the problem. Um, related to CBS, what a great partner they've been. Uh, we actually approached all of the major networks because you know we really felt we needed a network partner to to provide a. a a service that would uh, uh, really serve the dealership well, and uh, and CBS uh, uh, stepped up and has been a, has been a great partner uh, since since inception. So we're very blessed to to have them as a partner. I mean, when you reached out to them, though, I mean, just not to get too detail oriented, but when you reached out to them, I mean, did you have a plan of action? Did you submit a proposal? Like, what was what was the draw for them? Um, well, we actually uh, uh, flew up uh, to New York and, and met with them and. Uh, uh, kind of gave them our, our business case, told them what we were doing, and and you know, I mean, if you if you think about it, it's a it's a it's a great opportunity for CBS as well as ABN, in that you know they produce some really good shows. I don't know if you've seen like you know the Big Bang Theory is like probably the best show on TV. It's so funny. <laughs> we um, do watch that. Yeah. So the challenge with uh, with I think any network they have is you know if they can get you to watch the episode once and and it's a you know real quality show. Um, you're going to want to watch it again, and so that was kind of what we talked to him about, and, and we have a you know significant dwell time, probably one of the longest, and uh, so I think they saw it as a real good platform to kind of expose you know a vast audience that's uh, that's captive, um, you know their quality programming, and so certainly it's worked out for us, and we're thankful as can be, and and I'm hopeful that CBS feels it's worked out for them. They're they're the number one network, and. Uh, um, um, I'm happy happy to be a part of a little, little part of their success. Again, possible aspiring entrepreneurs listening. What were some of your biggest challenges starting the company? Um, I, I think it's like anything. It's it's uh, you, you know you start a company and you have a certain vision and and you're you're uh, you're going in one particular direction and and then you just you have to adjust as the market adjusts. So. <laughs> The biggest uh, issue that we had is we went to market in uh, uh, April of 2008. Well, it was only a few months after we went to market that uh, that uh, the bottom fell out of the economy. Nobody got hit harder that I'm aware of than than the automotive sector, and uh, you know that was a pretty sobering time. So uh, uh, again, you know, 
you know, we had to kind of put our heads down and have to, had to make some real tough decisions and lay off some people that, you know, something you never want to do, especially, you know, you're in business less than a year and, you know, people have put their trust in you and, and, you know, you had to make decisions either the, either, the, either you, you slim down your staff and, and the company, see, you know, sees the light of another day or, or you don't make the tough decision and the entire company goes down. So, you know, that was a real trying time for us and, and, um, you know, everybody worked real hard through through it, and 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 we made it out the other side, and 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 we're here today to talk about it. But uh, that was probably the most trying time. So, who who was your first hire, and why? Like, how did you determine even what positions were needed? Well, our our first hire was uh, uh, who's still with us today uh, is uh, the the head of uh, product, our executive vice president of product. And uh, you know, I'm really not a techie. I owned a software company before, but you know, I couldn't I couldn't you know code any any software any program uh and my partner uh, uh steve mortensen he uh, he didn't really come from a technology background so you know you have this vision but there's a lot of technology behind it so uh, <clears throat> so he was our first hire and and uh, again still with us today and uh uh you know great guy great great contributor to the company and uh and uh you know again he was he was employee number one and and we're at 70 now, growing to 170 in the next 12 yeah, months. Yeah, that's, that's incredible. I love that growth. What is your strategy to effectively create a vision for the people and teams you lead? Like, how did you learn to effectively create a vision for others to follow? You know, I don't I, – yeah, I, I, the way you post it would just sound braggadocious. I, I don't know that, that I ever sat down and said, okay, th- this is how I'm going to do this or this is how I'm going to do that. I think it just comes naturally to where you uh, – uh, you know, over communicate. So, for example, we get together every week with, uh, excuse me, every month with the entire staff, and we have cupcakes and cookies, and and we, you know, we announce the anniversaries and birthdays, and then I give about a 10-minute kind of overview to literally every every uh, team member that we have of what's going on with the company and and where we stand, and and uh, you know, we talk about new hires, and and so again, we we make them feel part of it, uh, uh, and uh, and. It's really a team. We call them team members because it's it, it's really a team. So, so I, you know, my leadership style is you know we need to care about people and 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 title is a is a you know it's it's a necessary evil uh, in that uh, you know we all have ten fingers and ten toes. None of us are getting out of this world alive, so we shouldn't take life <laughs> too seriously. And each of us has a role to play. And and whether you uh, answer the phones or or whether you uh, uh, you know program code, or whether you do something else, you know nobody here in in our company has any more intrinsic value than anybody else. Uh, yes, we have different responsibilities, but so we try to treat everybody like human beings, as opposed to, oh, I'm going to treat you this way because of the job that you have. It's like that's ridiculous. Yeah, and and you know I, I love your so once a month. I mean, do you think that's enough? Do you think that's overkill? I mean, I, I'm fascinated by that because I talk about that in my speeches a lot about you know how often do we meet? Do we share the vision? Is everybody on board? I love that you're doing it once a month. And you think that's a good? What made you come up with that? Um, you know, again, it, it, I don't know that these are planned things. I think that they just they're just they're the right thing to do. So you know, every, you know, we have you know many people we have now. We, you know, we have a lot of people every month that have birthdays and anniversaries and and uh so it just kind of morphed it just kind of became part of our culture and and, and what we do so no i, no, I appreciate that uh, yeah i th- i th- i think monthly is is absolutely adequate uh for kind of a uh you know general you know all hands on deck meeting uh to go over the items that we go through and then of course you know there's a lot of <laughs> you know no no shortage of meetings in most companies so you know we have you know we have one off meetings and other things one of the things that that we've just started is um um uh, uh, at every meeting now going forward, um, uh, and this is whether it's you know a, a two-person meeting or you know a twenty-person meeting or what have you, um, each meeting will start with talking about one of ABN's core values. Um, so you know, there's so many people that uh, you know they create mission statements or core values or guiding principles or what have you, and it looks real nice on the plaque on the wall, but they don't talk about it very much. So. So we're going to uh, 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 start doing that at every single meeting that we have going forward, uh, and and hopefully, uh, again, as we grow and we we bring you know the family gets bigger and bigger and bigger, we won't lose kind of what we have now, which is really kind of a family environment. Yeah, I love that because you're right. A lot of people just write those mission statements, and you never hear of them again. Can you tell me a story in your life where you weren't leading well, and you said to yourself, "I have to change this thing so that I can lead better." 
Yeah, probably going back to you know the 2008-2009 timeframe is probably again the best example. You know, I'm uh, you know you know I can be you know kind of soft-hearted and sometimes probably too soft related to my empathy for people and and uh, you know nobody likes um, making decisions that affect people's uh, families. Uh, so you know letting somebody go is a really tough decision for me. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, so I really had to, you know, adjust my thinking to understanding that, that if I'm not happy with them or their performance, um, they're probably not happy either. And I'm really not doing them any favor, uh, uh, by, uh, uh, by not making those types of decisions. So, so that's been the toughest thing for me and that I've had to adjust my thinking and, uh, I hate to say, yeah, I'm much better at firing people than I used to be, but uh, I guess I'm, I'm much better at being able to understand that that sometimes uh, a separation from an individual is as much for their benefit as it is for the company, and and that kind of helps me um, uh, do do the right thing and make the best business decisions that I can because it's not just uh, self-centered; it's it's helpful on both ends. And I guess it's always making sure you have the right people on the bus heading down the track in the in the same direction. Uh, yeah, it's my favorite book. Get the get the wrong people off the bus, the right people on exactly. the bus. Exactly. Hey, describe the one trait that you look for in your top people, and why? What's the one trait? If you had one trait that you could look for in your people, what would it be? Yeah, one. That's great, Dan. Thanks. Um, no pressure. Just yeah, give me one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, uh, so I'll I'll. Uh, uh, I'll give you one of my favorite stories. So when I was a young man selling cars, uh, one of the sales managers had asked me to move a car somewhere. I, f- I forget the exact details of it, but I do remember getting a page to the sales office by the general manager of the dealership, and his name was Jerry Dollard, wonderful man. But he was not happy that day. And so in front of all the other managers, he just ripped me up one side and down the other. Uh, and, of course, I was shocked because, you know, I, I was just doing what I was told. Well, before I could get a word out in response, the sales manager that uh, uh, that had asked me to perform the task slammed his hand down on the on the desk, looked at the general manager, who he worked for, and said, you know, this had nothing to do with Jerry. I asked him to do that. If, you, if you've got a problem with it, if you're mad, then, 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 then your uh, anger should be directed at me, not Jerry. It wasn't his fault. So, you know, they, uh, you know, dismissed me from, from the meeting. Again, I was like 19 or 20 when this happened. And I'm sure that the sales manager got his head ripped off for it. But, but, uh, uh, the guy's name is Al Babington. We became dear friends and, and still are to this day. And I'll, I'll, uh, I'll never forget the fact that he took accountability for his actions and, and was unwilling to let me, uh, 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 you know, take the repercussions of it. And so, I really love to surround myself with people that aren't perfect, that absolutely make mistakes, but will step up and own those mistakes. Uh, and I think that's the key to business. It's not about being perfect. It's about if we make a mistake, acknowledge the mistake, learn from this mistake, and move on. And so many people uh, uh, try to hide those things or, or, or push them under the carpet, and that's like the worst thing that you could do. I can handle any problem if I know about it. It's the ones that I don't know that keep me up at night. Love that answer, Jerry Daniels. Uh, you know, Ronald Reagan had a kitchen cabinet, a group of trusted friends, advisors that he trusted to give him solid advice. They were brutally honest. They had shared vision. They were success-oriented. I believe there is power in having successful peers. Jerry Daniels. Who is in your kitchen cabinet? Describe the type of people you surround yourself with. Hmm. So I've got I've got a great uh, I've got a great board of directors. I don't I don't know how uh, I was so blessed to, to get them. So so our board is probably uh, my my quote unquote kitchen kitchen cabinet, and 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 these are you know you know, kind of titans in in their different industries. Um, you know, my, my number one person, quite frankly, is my wife. Um, uh, I, I, I ask her for advice all the time. Uh, you know, my wife, Dan, she's not shy in, in giving her, me her opinions. And, and quite frankly, we don't always agree, but, uh, uh, you know, even in the scriptures, it talks about, you know, listen to your wife. So I really always try to uh, take her counsel and she's probably by far my, I get my best advice from her. Well, she's also highly intelligent, which, you know, brings a lot to the table, too, and just a, a different perspective than than ours. I mean, you know, just having someone that you can bounce ideas off of that you trust and that 
both of you are headed kind of, again, down the same track that, that there's value in that. So great answer, Jerry Daniels. That'll go far in life and in the family. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's true, though. I know it sounds... Uh... Like I'm placating, but but I really no. I know her. I, you are and not she placating. She, she she is, and she does not pull punches either. I mean, she's the one person in life. Like I mean, she my, my title is irrelevant to her. She'll let me have it if I deserve it. <laughs> well, a, a great partner in life and and in business for everything. So let me ask you what what is the most important decision that you make as a leader of your organization? Do you think it's related to strategy, finance, or people, and why? And I know you kind of said people earlier, but I just I want you to put it in this perspective with these three specifically: strategy, finance, or people. So, so I uh, uh, I was taught by one of my mentors, uh, Larry Van Tile, that uh, uh, that your job as a, as a chief executive is to surround yourself with the best people that you can, and, and that really first and foremost you're you're a recruiter, right? You're you're uh, selling your vision and you're bringing in talented people to, uh, to help you execute on that vision. So, so, you know, I think that's probably the most important thing that a chief executive can do is, uh, is identify, you know, attract, and then keep uh, the highest quality and the highest caliber uh, talent that they can get their hands on. And, and, and then, you know, if you have the right strategy, finance will come. If you have the right people, is that what you're saying? Well, you know, that's why, you know, a lot of your questions, uh, uh, not to beat you up, buddy, but, you know, are, are so absolute, right? So it's like, what's the one thing? It's like, you know, there isn't really one thing. You know, to be successful, I think that there's a, a lot of things you've got to do well concurrently. Uh, you know, I've told many people that content, or excuse me, that, that cash is not king. Cash is king, cash is queen, cash is the jack, cash is the ten, you can go down to the five. But you better have enough cash, and most entrepreneurs, I think that's where they really suffer, is they, they underestimate uh, uh, the cash needs of the company. So there's certainly the, the, the financial aspect of it, uh, people. And then when you talk about strategy, you know, to me, it's not the initial strategy that's the key. It's, it's, you need to keep your humility about you and be willing to listen to the market. Uh, because... You could start a business that is the worst idea on the planet and have it turn out to be the biggest success if you're humble enough to listen to the market and adjust. And so where, uh, you know, if you've got plenty of cash and, and, and you're not succeeding, it's because, in my opinion, that you're not adjusting. Yeah. And, and you know, it, it, it's interesting because I think that, you know, again, the finance will come if you if you do all of that. So if you are willing to listen to the market, I love that statement, by the way. Thank you for saying that because I'm going to use that. That's fantastic. If you're willing to listen to the market, then the finance, all that will come. But you have to get the right people and you got to get, you know, you got to have the right strategy. And, you know, some, I had one person argue that strategy was first because if you didn't have the right strategy, you can't attract the right people. What do you think of that statement? Um, I, I disagree. I mean, in the book, Good to Great, that you quoted earlier, uh, I forget who the CEO is that said it, but he was brilliant. He said, you know, he said, if I go into a company that's failing, I'm paraphrasing, of course, if I go into a company that's failing, he said, I don't worry about the strategy at all. He said, what I do is I surround myself with the best people, get the best people on the bus, get the wrong people off the bus. I don't care what direction the bus is headed in. The people will, will figure it out. They'll get it pointed in the right direction. So, so to me, that's that's the real answer to your question: is you could have you could have the best strategy in the world, and the wrong people, and fail. You could have the worst strategy in the world, but if you've got the right people, they'll correct the the, the course. Great, great answer. So so we've talked about learning and and leading. Now, from a legacy perspective, and, and you kind of answered this a little bit before, but maybe we can elaborate on it. But what's the, what's the best business or life advice that you'd give your kids or grandkids? Again, I think it's just it's just not quitting. It's kind of enduring to the end. It's it's uh, uh, it's never giving up. And uh, again, I know it might sound cliche, but uh, uh, in every aspect of your life, you know, because you know whether it's your marriage or whether it's your business or or uh, friendships or school or whatever, we you know for whatever reason, you know, we have a mechanism. You know, we got the devil on the right side or the, or the devil on the left side and the angel on the right. It's who are we listening to? And, uh, you know, when you start to think about quitting, you're thinking about the wrong thing. So, so you know, again, it sounds cliche, but that, 
just never give up. Well, I hope up. you don't mind me digging a little deeper, though. So what, what if a business is kind of heading in a, in a failing direction and, you know, the writing is on the wall? Because I know that, you know, like Ron Bailey, for example, said, look, you know, we can talk about it all day or we can just do it. And if, if it doesn't work, we can stop and do something else. At what point do you stop and do something else? I mean, I, I definitely know there are certain things that you need to kind of push through. But how do you know that one point when you say, okay, we need to change course or we need to change direction? So, so I have a great example that, that, that I lived through. It was one of the most difficult times in my life. So I started a software company about 20 years ago. And uh, we started as a dot-com, uh, you know, right, you know, basically during the dot-com boom. And, uh, you know, got some angel investment. And, uh, um, you know, all of us back then uh, made a lot of assumptions that, you know, you know, how, you know, how many insurance, you know, car insurance policies uh, people would buy off the web and, and uh, different transactions uh, uh, that would generate revenue. We all created these beautiful you know, business plans. And about a year before the dot-com implosion, uh, you know, because I knew the other companies that formed similar companies to mine, we used to change um, exchange of financials. Um, I came to the conclusion that the business model was just the wrong business model. Uh, and um, uh, that there was no way that it was going to get to profitability, and, and I didn't I didn't need the dot com uh, um, bubble to burst to realize that. So you know, a year year and a half prior to the burst, uh, you know, I went to my board and I said, listen, I said, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but you know, as this thing is maturing, it's it's evident that uh, that you know this model is not going to get us to where we need to get. So I transitioned the company from a dot-com to, at the time, was what we called it a vertical ASP. Now you'd call it a SaaS, to where instead of, um, of uh, providing uh, additional leads to the dealership, we would create the infrastructure within the dealership to be able to manage those leads, whether they came in through the, you know, through the showroom or the telephone or, or, the, or now the Internet, which at the time was new. And... Um, uh, so we, we we built that. We went to market. We had some success. We put dealerships on in 13 states, and and we just started to run out of cash. And when I went back to uh, to raise some more money, uh, my my uh, uh, initial investors uh, basically wanted to stay a dot com. Everybody was still enthralled in the whole dot com thing. Uh, so I knew that 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 was a failing strategy, uh, and I wasn't going to drive the the company into the ground. So I made a decision to sell the company, which is what I did, and. Uh, you know, at the time, of course, everybody thought I was crazy. And a year later, I, I looked like the smartest guy in the room. But so, 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 did I give up, or or did I uh, uh, basically solve the problem the best that I knew how? And and uh, so, I would say, I mean, you know, I could have bankrupt the company. I could have, you know, you know, taken it back on the path of the dot com and just driven it into a ditch, like you know, a you know, a ton of dot coms did. Uh, but uh, but I, you know, I, I listened to my gut and I, I made the decisions that I thought were in the best interest of the shareholders and the best interest of the company. And, and, and we certainly fared a heck of a lot better than, than most uh, that, uh, that went through that process. And I appreciate that answer because that's right in line with what you said. If you get the right people, then you can steer in the right direction. So it's not giving up. It's, it's, it's just always steering into the right direction. So love that. Uh, what's left that you still want to accomplish? Did you, do you feel like you have any unfinished business? Um, I mean, I'm always coming up with uh, – <laughs> That's the problem with being an entrepreneur is, is you always come up with different ideas and different thoughts. So no, I've got a I've got a laundry list of, of super exciting uh, visions both inside of the automotive industry and outside of the automotive industry. And um, the, I'll tell you the one thing I learned that you know if I were to give advice to a new entrepreneur uh, that's that's getting started, uh, one of the things I would talk to him about is focus. Um, you know, the good news about being an entrepreneur is you can do whatever you want. The bad news about being an entrepreneur is you can do whatever you want. So, uh, uh, so it takes a lot of discipline and focus to, to really kind of build a, build a company. So, so even today, I've got these millions of ideas. We are laser focused on automotive retail. It's all we do right now. We will be expanding into other verticals in the next year or two, but, but, um, um, you know, I don't know that I'll ever retire. I'm sure I'll always be working in some capacity, uh, and kind of, again, just inventing new things and, and, uh, uh, and take them to market. So, you know, both of us believe and practice that business can create value for communities. Can you describe how your company adds value to society and the community in which it operates? Like, what is your company's big why beyond profits? So, you know, it's interesting. I, I really didn't start ABN uh, uh, just to make money. Um, 
because I, you know, if you're not emotionally engaged in what you do, uh, I don't think you'll be uh, near as successful at it as if you really are passionate about what you do. And so I have a great story that that shares uh, that exact, uh, uh, or, or will give the answer to that exact question. So one of our uh, team members goes into a dealership. Uh, and uh, there's three people in the service waiting area, this particular dealership. There's a woman that's sitting on the right-hand side, and there's two men on the left-hand side. And the woman is has got her body contorted away from the men, and the men have their bodies contorted away from the women. And in the middle, of course, is the television playing in the middle of the dealership. And it's playing The View, uh, and I don't have anything against the show The View, but the subject matter that day, uh, matter of fact, I'm not even going to, talk about it on your show, but it was wholly inappropriate, uh, wholly embarrassing to the woman. And so here you have a, a situation where you're in a professional environment, you've got subject matter that is so grossly offensive that the woman is uncomfortable and both uh, men are uncomfortable for themselves and or for the poor woman that's sitting there in the service waiting area. Why in the world would we ever create an environment like that? That That is just insane. Um, there are a lot of daytime shows that have really inappropriate content that you would never allow to play in your home. You'd never allow your children to watch it. Why would we ever allow that, that content to play in a professional place of business? Um, so, yeah, that was the original vision is that, is that uh, we really need to control the experience at the point of sale, not just for the benefit of the dealership, but for the benefit of the of the people that patronize that that location. Right, and and you get to do that every day now. You get to come up with exciting content and that adds real value and and is directed. So, how how do you maintain balance between work and your personal life? I mean, this is a big question for a lot of my listeners because you know you if there's no trust fund and you have to sleep and you have to work, you know there's limited time left over. How do you be present uh, with your family when you need to be? Um, so a few things. So my wife have gone, uh, we have a date night, Friday night. Uh, we've gone out on a date every night, uh, uh, every Friday night since we were married 25 plus years ago. Um, and, uh, and I think that's, that's a big part of it. Um, we also, uh, Sunday is family day. We, uh, we, we don't do anything on Sundays. We stay home with each other and, and whether we, uh, uh, are just relaxed, you know, we go, we go to church together every week. We, uh, uh, you know, we have Sunday night dinners. So, you know, so, so we have, you know, dedicated family day. We have a dedicated, uh, uh, date night, uh, Monday nights, uh, when the kids were younger, you know, we're kind of empty nesters now, but when the kids were younger, we had family night on Monday nights where that, you know, everybody had to be there and we played games and read, read stories and did different things. So, so we just created a structure that, that allowed, allowed for that because the rest, you know, the rest of the nights, it, it can get pretty hectic. Lots of activities, <laughs> especially when you have kids and sports and school and everything. It's just, you know, and then you're trying to build a successful business. It, it does get overwhelming. You know, I believe that we ought to go through life with one hand extended up for help from those who are, you know, a little further along than us in life and one hand extended down to help others who are coming alongside, you know, us in life and or behind us. Can you name a person who has had a significant impact on you as a leader, maybe a mentor, someone who offered you their hand, you know, their hand down to you? And describe this person, your relationship with them, and tell us why this person impacted you and your life. Yeah, that's an easy one. So, so uh, by far, I mean, I've had a lot of great mentors, but my my uh, the one I would I would mention first, obviously, is my father. Uh, um, he was in the car business his whole life. Uh, uh, never tried to get me into the car business until I came to him when I was about uh, I think I was eighteen, nineteen, and. Told him I was frustrated with the job that I had, and and uh, uh, I said, uh, I said, Dad, I'd like to quit, but I make so much money. And he said, What do you make? And I told him. He said, Yeah, you don't make that much, you know. <laughs> oh, great answer. And, uh, yeah, it was awesome. And, and uh, uh, he said, Well, let me make a, you know. They kind of told me. About, he said, You know, I never tried to get you in the car business, but I really think that you'd excel. And so he made a call. He got me a job, and 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 I went the first, I don't know, three weeks, four weeks without selling a car, and. We're driving down the road together one day, and he puts his arm around me. He says, you know, son, he says, uh, maybe you're just not cut out for the car business. So here's a guy who told me my whole life I can be anything, do anything I want, looking at me saying, maybe you're not cut out for the car business. And I said, well, what do you, what, of course I am. What are you talking about? And 
He goes, well, just because I'm great at it doesn't mean you're going to be. He says, listen, he says, you know, you, you know, if you'll come after work every day and, and I'll work with you and I'll train you. And, and those are some of my fondest memories of my dad who passed away a couple of years ago. And, and sure enough, uh, I'd go to his office and we'd role play and, and he just loved me. He just, uh, uh, he just, uh, he just cared and, and would, would give me his time. And, and, uh, uh, you know, I was at 20, I was salesman of the year at the biggest Nissan dealership in the country. And, and on and on, and you just kind of couldn't hold my career back. But if it wasn't for him, if it wasn't for uh, for the for the shakeup comment about telling me I wasn't I wasn't meant for the car business, and then the the to back it up with some real love and training, uh, uh, I I wouldn't be where I'm at today. There's no question about it. And, and I've tried to pass that on to others because I'm I'm so grateful of what he did for me. And he probably knew how to light the fire under you right there at that moment. He knew exactly what he needed oh, to say. Yeah. Oh, we laughed about that for years because, yeah, he knew what he was doing. He's a brilliant, brilliant man. That's great. That's great. And I know it's it's hard losing a, a parent, but uh, he must have been so proud of you and your success. I can only imagine. Yeah, he was. It was a, he, he was a real blessing in my life, and uh, he's missed. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, li- listen, in that same vein, and this this leads directly into this, and it's a perfect way to kind of en- end this. In my speeches, I asked the audience to answer this question. How will your children describe you to their children? Like, what was grandpa like? What will your legacy be? Jerry Daniels, in your wildest fantasy, how would you want to be described? Wow. Uh, let's, let's end with the toughest question. Absolutely. Um, <laughs> yeah, again, one, one Not word. Not one word. No, 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 no. I get a sentence or two. You can use multiple <laughs> words, multiple sentences. Just, you know, how would, how would you want to be described? I think that uh, uh, I think that they would say that uh, you know that he was hardworking, uh, that he that he genuinely cared about people, that uh, uh, he was the most charitable person they know, uh, that he helped people, um, and uh, <laughs> and hopefully they uh, they 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 would say their father was a visionary because. Uh, uh, because uh, he thinks outside of the box. So uh, I'm hopeful that's what they would say. I think they'd probably say that. And uh, uh, I hope I don't, I hope they don't have to mention that at, at a church anytime soon. Well, I, I agree with that. We all do. But you know, you know, okay. So Jerry, I'm going to, I'm going to put a couple extra things on there. Cause I, I know you and I know those kids. I think they would also say you're fun. And I think they would also say, you know, on a regular basis, they were loved and hugged and, and told that. So, I mean, kudos to you for making sure that that's the kind of life that you're living. And and clearly you've had great success. Jerry, I, I want to thank you for your time today. Thanks for a window into what it takes to lead a successful company. I'm confident my listeners will walk away from this podcast with you better equipped to tackle the challenges that leaders face every day as they try to lead their own families and their businesses with greater purpose, direction, and optimism. Jerry, thank you so much. It's been my pleasure. Thank you, Dan. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please remember to subscribe to the podcast. Don't just listen, subscribe. This will help others discover the show. And please, as a personal favor to me, write a review. When you subscribe to Garage to Goliath podcast and write a review, it boosts our ratings. Ratings in turn help others find this show. Please also share this podcast with friends and family so together we can expand leadership excellence.